Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'm super excited to be joined today by an entrepreneur from a bootstrap SaaS company with a completely uh, remote team that has seen some pretty good uh, growth since its inception under three years ago. Uh, welcome to the show, Laura Roder, CEO of Meet Edgar. Thank you, Alex. Hey, it's uh, great to have you here, Laura. So, uh, um, you know, typically I always, uh, you know, start the show with, you know, we want to get to know you better. We want to know a little bit about your SaaS business, right? So uh, can you tell us, uh, you know, tell the audience, you know, who is uh, Laura Roder? Yeah, so uh, like you said, I'm the, the founder of Meet Edgar. Uh, this is my first SaaS business uh, where a social media marketing tool and my background is in social media marketing, not in software. So before I was doing this, I was doing uh, productized consulting, teaching small businesses about how to utilize social media marketing. And the idea for the software came from what I was teaching, making software to do for them when I was teaching people to do manually. So, uh, so how did you, uh, I mean, if, if I understand you're uh, a, a, like a, a single founder, you don't, uh, there are no co-founders uh, within Meet Edgar, is that right? It's, that's sort of right. So it, so what my story is, is so I had this methodology that I was teaching where you put your content into different categories, mm -hmm. you go through those categories and you repeat them. And at the time, there wasn't any software that could do it. So it involved a lot of manual work, a lot of like, spreadsheets, and copying and pasting to make it all work with these existing social tools. So I was complaining to my husband about this, who is a Ruby on Rails developer, very convenient. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> um, and he said, well, I can build that. I can, I can build something that does that. So I said, great, do it. Uh, so he is like... He's sort of my co-founder for all intents and purposes. Like he built the initial version of the software. He really guided what the product would be, um, and he still helps to guide what the the product is. But he he didn't really want to run the business. He wanted you know he's, he's a developer. He wanted to build the code. So now he's kind of an advisor to the business. You know he has a call with the person who heads up our engineering team once a week and advises about product. So he is sort of a co-founder, but he's not active in um in running the business with me. So we usually just call me a, a solo founder. He doesn't he doesn't want to be a co-founder. He just wants to be able to do the parts that he likes to do. Okay, I mean they say um, you know having a co-founder it, it's got to be like you know being married to someone. Uh, you know uh, I guess in your case um, you know. Uh, kind of uh, uh, literal, but uh, yeah. good, good, good to know the um, uh, the background there. And so, uh, as I mentioned on the the intro, um, Meet Edgar is a bootstrap business. So it's your first mm -hmm. SaaS business. Uh, it's also bootstrapped. You know um, why uh, why did you uh, go down the bootstrapped uh, sort of route and still you, you know um, you know are bootstrapped and you know have you any plans to raise uh, you know VC funding? Yeah, it's something that I, I really thought a lot about when I was launching because I think we definitely could have raised money. You know, it's the type of business that you can raise money for. I already had a lot of those connections. But I I researched it a lot. I talked to a lot of friends who have, you know, done it several times. And I think 100% of the people that I talked to said, I would not raise money if you don't have to. And I was in a position where we had profits from the training business that we could use to fund Meet Edgar. So it, really the most accurate way to say it is that we were self-funded because we were you know, able to use that money in the beginning to get it up and running before Edgar was able to support itself. And we ended up phasing out the training business 
because Edgar took off so well. Uh, so we don't have any plans to raise. I mean, I guess you never know what the future holds, but I I love being bootstrapped. Uh, it would be really hard for me, even if I raised money, to to not be profitable. Um, you know, when, when you raise, you're kind of, that's the whole idea is that you're saying, I'm going to use this to grow quickly and it's going to be a while until we catch up to profitability. I think I would just be so nervous that we're doing something unsustainable that that was never going to work out. So it's just a different model. It's a different way to, to run a business. But I love being bootstrapped because you really have to prove your worth. You know, we don't make money unless customers think that the software is is worth their money. And I think it creates a great cycle of really really having to prove yourself every day your customer service has to be good enough that people stick around your product has to be good enough that people buy it your marketing has to be good enough that that people are educated about it so i just love that it, it kind of forces you to be honest when you're bootstrapped yeah no absolutely i mean um, i guess one of the the, the best ways of uh, you, you know sort of growing a business is through the traditional means of you know uh, revenue right uh, and yeah. uh, um so and i guess on that on that point you know are you able to you know share any um, you know revenue details um, in terms of you know uh, what, what uh, ARR are you at at the, at the moment I think you're, you're like three years into the business now yeah we're two and a half years into the business now and we're at four million annual recurring revenue okay that's uh, that's a pretty good growth uh, um, and and especially so for uh, a bootstrap business so um, you mm -hmm. know, kudos to you uh, for that, so I'm sure that you probably have had some VCs knocking at the door, um, you know, based yeah. on based on those numbers. But you're uh, politely uh, maybe uh, you know turning down their advances at the moment. Yeah, you know, people like I've met with I live here in Austin. I've met with a few people here in Austin because people always say, "Well, you wanna you wanna meet them when you don't need them," <laughs> which I can I can understand that advice. And you know, maybe at some point in the future, I'll do another company and I'll want to raise. But uh, we just. You know, I love having total freedom and, and total control. I was I was talking to a friend last week who's raised a, a very significant amount of money for his company, and he has great investors that he has a great relationship with. And you know, he still said at the end of the day, you you ha you have to show that growth every month. You have to show that very strong growth every month, or your investors are are not very happy. And I just want to be able to build something longer term. I want to be able to spend as much or as little as my personal time on it. I don't want to, I don't want the stress of thinking, you know, we have to show these growth numbers every day, every week, every month, because that's not always the most sustainable long-term strategy. And maybe we don't want a company with, with thousands of people. I mean, our plan is actually that, that we don't, we're not necessarily trying to grow as large as humanly possible. And, and, and on that, uh, I mean, your team, I mentioned in the intro, you're 100% remote? Yeah, so we're remote, but we're all in North America. We're all in the US and Canada. Okay, so all on pretty much the same sort of time zone. More or less, yeah. yeah more or less. Uh, and and that, that's that been working out for you since uh, since day one? I mean, clearly, obviously, you're, uh, you, you've got some good numbers, um, you, you know, uh, to show sort of behind that. But, uh, um, I mean, what are the pros and cons for you of, um, you know, remote work? Yeah, so the way we do it, I think, is a little different than a lot of companies do it because we don't do the, the asynchronous thing that, you know, Basecamp has blogged about. The reason that everyone's within, you know, West Coast to East Coast American time zones is that we do work together. Mm -hmm. 
we are all working from home, but we're on Slack working together during the normal workday. We have set work hours. Um, we're very collaborative in how we work. So it feels a lot like a non-remote company, I think. Uh, the best thing about being remote by far is being able to attract and retain talent from all over. I mean, we've had people whose spouse has, you know, gotten a job opportunity in another city. It kills me that we would have had to lose that person or, you know, that they would have had to make a choice between them and their spouse, their career, uh, for development talent. It's been, it's been huge because there's a lot of really talented developers that don't want to live in San Francisco you know, and we can't compete anyway with funded startups like salary wise, but we can compete on the nationwide scale and, and give people a really good job. And people really like the flexibility of not having a commute, working from home, all that good stuff. So I, I love being a remote company. I mean, the biggest downside is definitely not having that in-person connection. Um, it's hard for celebrating like that. We can't just all go out for beers together, you know, when, when something goes well, uh, and it's weird because we're 22 people now. So if we were in the same office, you know, obviously everyone would know each other's names. Everyone probably would have had lunch with everyone at some point. But because we're remote, a person on the marketing team and a backend engineer might have no opportunity to interact at all. Uh, so we meet in person twice a year, but it, it is a downside of being remote that you, we feel connected to our teams within the company, like the marketing team or the engineering team, but it can be hard to feel connected cross department if there's not a, a natural work relationship there. Yeah, no, I'm sure every, um, I mean, great points there. And uh, I'm sure every, you know, founder and a person that's working within a, a remote business, which is seeing, a, you know, a, a lot of growth in terms of, um, you know, model and how to operate a business these days, you know, can empathize with that and and personally myself as well as um you you know uh, my my company is uh, uh remote um you know and we have people in in, in germany and in ireland mm -hmm. and i'm in the uk um and it, it it's tough i guess when you can't get together you know as often and celebrate things as often yeah. as, uh, as often as you liked um actually we had one guest on the show um uh, ryan burke from envision app and i think they had like 200 people um you know all remote uh, and i quite like that he uh they did these um like virtual happy hours so like everybody uh -huh. everybody jumping on google hangouts and having a cocktail at some point you know during the week uh, i've not tried that yet but uh, uh, i quite like the idea from a cultural perspective of how to yeah. uh, manage the uh, the remote teams um just moving on from um uh, you, you know the, uh, the the structure of the the business in terms of it, you know, being remote and on onto pricing. Now, I sort of noticed that you, you know there isn't a, like a I couldn't see anyway a pricing section on the website. You know, I need to provide um, uh, you know meet Edgar with an email address and get an mm -hmm. invitation. Um, so I, I want to know a little bit more about the pricing strategy. Why? Um, you know, why is it uh, sort of this strategy? Um, you know, uh, what's the sort of pricing model? You know, if I give you, uh, you know, my email address. Yeah, so the price is uh, forty nine a month if you pay yearly. So I think that's up to five eighty eight a year, or seventy nine a month if you want to pay monthly. Uh, we actually, it's just something that we test having it on our homepage or not. We used to have it on our homepage. Uh, it's not that we're trying to keep it a secret. We actually just found that that doesn't matter so much for people. Um, for the goal of the homepage, which is to co collect um, qualified email addresses, but mm -hmm. it might appear on the homepage at some point again. 
Okay, so I mean, is is that part of? Um, I, I know that we um, you know spoke over email, you know, before uh, the the podcast call. Um, we were talking uh, about the the angle and direct response marketing mm-hmm. um, that you guys uh, adopt. You know, is, is this an example of um, you, you know the direct response marketing approach? It is. It is. So you know, direct response refers to making a direct ask of the prospect. So it's kind of like taking a sales process and putting it into marketing instead, which which just means you're not talking to someone one-on-one. Uh, and it's worth pointing out, by the way, that we don't have any kind of sales department at our company. We're, we're mm-hmm. no sales. We're all marketing. We're all SMB. We're all self-serve. Uh, so for us, we want to have you know that kind of power of a sales process, but leverage it to a larger marketing process. And, and direct response, what it's different from is kind of general branding, uh, or in, you know, it's something I see a lot in the software world. I think a lot of software thinks it's it's too cool for marketing yeah. or, you know, thinks you, you build a great product and people will come. Or there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about, like, marketing around features. People build the software and think that people care when they release a new version or a new feature, which most people really don't. Uh, so direct response means, you know, we're collecting people's email address so that we can stay in touch with them and so we can send them emails and say, hey, Here's why you should buy Edgar. Here's an opportunity to do so. And and so um, I think you mentioned that you've now over five thousand uh, paying customers. Yeah, we're at uh, about seven thousand now. Okay, uh, very cool. And and let's talk about you know how you you grew to the, the seven thousand plus you know paying customers. Um, you know with, with the marketing techniques specifically, I guess the direct response marketing. Um, uh, first, I, I guess you know how did you get your first uh, uh, first ten customers? Um, I'd be interested to hear that. Well, so we had an audience already from the training business. Uh, so, you know, like I mentioned, the training was social media training. So it was it was pretty closely related. So uh, our, our very first customers we got from that audience, although not as much as you might think. Like I was just looking through our numbers of customers. And in the first few months, uh, the first time we ever like kind of, you know, pre-released it for anyone to buy it, we had 18 people. I mean, those were kind of testers. And then we had like 50 people and then we had 100 people and then 300 and 600, you know, when you look at our, our first few months. So it's not like we did this. It's not like we had thousands of people, you know, or even hundreds of people immediately coming in the door from our old business. But obviously we had the link, the email list from the old business. We had our social media presence. We had our blog from the previous business. So the first people that came to us found out about the software through those channels. And um, uh, and now that you've been, you know, well, using direct response marketing, uh, I, I mean, from what point was it, you know, very early on, um, you know, were you always looking to, you know, sort of capture the emails and, and, and then sort of maintain that conversation, um, you know, with, with the customers um, or, or did this sort of come at a late stage via experimentation? No, we've always been focused on on list building um, as our, our main form of, of how people buy. And, you know, the reason that people don't have asking for an email address as, as their main call to action on the homepage is because they're afraid uh, of losing buyers, right? They say, well, but what if I'm ready to buy? And now you've set up this roadblock asking for my email address. The truth is that you do not discover a homepage and then buy business software in the same visit. I mean, it, you do that for almost no product. Like, if, if you haven't observed yourself as a consumer, it's a really interesting thing to do to start, you know, once you hit that purchase button, kind of reverse engineering what you've done 
And I don't know if people are aware of this or not, but it's kind of insane, like buying something for $8 on Amazon, how many reviews you read, how much comparison shopping you do. Um, people don't just impulse buy. Uh, I mean, a lot of things, especially online when you have that research there to do, but especially business software, right? You're going to be looking at different options. You're going to be considering how this can work for you. So the whole idea is that we want to make it easy for the customers to learn more about us. We don't want to just hope that they remember to Google us, hope that they remember to figure out what we do. We want to make that really easy for them. So if we have their email, we know that they're interested because they've told us that, right? So we can say, here are reviews. The customers have written about me, Edgar. Here's a longer explanation of what we do. Here's how we're different from some other tools you might be familiar with. Basically, we're not just hoping and expecting that people are going to take the time to do all this research. We're providing that for them so that they can more easily make the decision on whether we're going to be a good match for their company. And, and so you, I mean, your, your sort of goal, I guess, is um, uh, you know capturing the emails once the uh, you know potential customer is on the website. But how do you drive the traffic, uh, you know, to to the website? How how do you get the, the people to to come and, and then give them your email? Through content marketing. So so most of our customers uh, do come from search and mm. we rank in search due to organic and, and content marketing. So that means uh, writing blog posts. That means obviously being active on social media. We use our own tool to make that happen. Uh, doing interviews like this one are something that we employ as a promotional strategy mm-hmm. for the company. You know, I asked, I pitched you, right? Yep. Our team came to you and said, we'd love to be on your show. That's something not a lot of people do, but it's, it's a great marketing strategy. You know, this is going to be a great audience for me. A certain amount of them are going to check out Meet Edgar. I'm going to have this backlink on your website. Uh, so those kind of organic opportunities are how we drive traffic. Okay. Uh, uh, good to know. And uh, I mean, have you, you know, tried or experimented, you know, uh, with any other, um, you know, marketing tactics like, you know, the, the partnerships or, or sponsorships or re- referrals, or have you just completely stayed away from that? We haven't, we haven't done um, most of the things that you listed. And so we don't have an affiliate program. Um, we haven't done partner marketing. Uh, we haven't done like partner webinars. And I think something that is really important to us is, is getting really clear on what we don't do because all of those are excellent marketing strategies, very effective and very time consuming, you know, running a good affiliate program that works well and drives traffic that converts is, is a huge marketing strategy. It's not just like we're going to throw up an affiliate program and, and see what happens. So I think it's important being really clear on what you don't do and not just dabbling in those things, you know, like another thing we don't do is write guest posts. So it's not like we just like sometimes write them. We just mm-hmm. don't write them. We experimented with it for a while. We decided it wasn't the best strategy for us. And so now we don't do them at all. And I think it's so important to say, no, we're not going to do any partner webinars. We're not going to do any guest posts. I'm not saying we'll never change that strategy, but it allows us to just be really focused on the things that we do. Uh, and we also do paid paid acquisition, Facebook ads, and, and AdWords. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and um, so I guess you know, there's some really great insights there into your marketing strategy, and specifically, you know, direct response marketing, um, which I think is going to be you know super insightful to. Uh, those that are listening, um, moving away, uh, I guess, a little bit from um, the, the marketing side of things, 
Um, what mistakes, you know, as a SaaS founder, as a, as a first-time SaaS founder, you know, have you made that you, you know, that you're happy to share so others listening can possibly avoid? Yeah, I mean, I've just, I've had to learn a lot about how you make software <laughs> because I, I didn't, I didn't know how that worked. Um, I'm much less involved in the product than probably um, most software Founders, I don't view that as as my area of expertise. You know, we have a, a core kind of set of things that the product does, but I I actually am not on product meetings. I'm I'm not making those decisions. We have you know a product and an engineering team that's that's better at making those decisions. So that's been a learning process. Like just seeing that I don't really have that much <laughs> that much value to add <laughs> to that to that whole area. You know, the marketing side and, and the business side um, are much more where where my value is. Um, hiring too slow has, has been a huge problem for us. Um, when we looked at the end of 2015, we saw that we got, our growth was, was slower, significantly slower than it could have been if we had kept more on top of our hiring. And we tried to improve it for 2016. We did a little bit better, but, but not a lot better. And we kind of realized that our pattern was, you know, realize we need someone wait another three months until we're like, no, we really, really need them now, you know, spend another few weeks getting the job listening together. And then it takes another three months before we actually find the right person and, you know, get them in the job. Everything takes much longer to hire for than we always think it will. So basically we're, you know, we have this huge hole in the company for like six months while, while we're waiting to, to get that new person and hiring as a bootstrap company is always one of the hardest things, right? Because you don't have just this big pile of cash to, uh, hire a bunch of people at once. And I think what I've had to learn is you, you do have to assume that you'll keep growing at, you know, maybe even a lesser rate than you have, but you have to assume that you'll keep growing. And that's actually been kind of hard for me because there's something that just feels weird about just assuming that things are going to keep going so well. And we're just going to spend this money as though things are going to keep going so well. But also, that's what the evidence that we have says. And if we don't assume that, our company is going to start falling really behind because we're not going to hire the team that we need to keep up with our growth. So it's like you have to have a certain amount of hubris in order to be successful and in order to keep up. Um, and that's it's just like been a weird thing for me to accept. Well, I think that's something a lot of uh, founders will will resonate with uh, uh, as well. And I, th I think you're absolutely right. You know, on the hiring side, I mean, it's always going to take, you know, a lot longer than uh, than you think. And and perhaps you, you know, I speak to many people, and they say, you know, always be hiring, right? And mm. you, you see on LinkedIn, almost everybody, I guess, that's kind of running a business, they always have this, you know, uh, their name. They have we're hiring next to it. Um, you know, and um, you know, perhaps they're they're hiring, you know, on a on a constant sort of basis, and maybe maybe you need to. Uh, um, uh, what about um, uh, sort of? You know, we're getting to the, the the last question here, as we're uh, you know coming to the end of the show now. Um, any kind of you know quick final hints or tips to you know SaaS founders out there that are looking to grow their business? I think staying focused is so important. I think that's a, a huge thing that we've done well. You know, I mentioned that we don't have a sales team, uh -huh. that we're only SMB. And the common thing is to start SMB and then quickly move up market, um, move to enterprise or move to agencies. And we haven't done that because that would, that would require a different marketing strategy. That would require a modified version of our product. And it's, 
it, it can be hard to have that kind of uh, that kind of focus and that kind of dedication. Uh, but you know, I was at the Business with Software conference. I was speaking there in Boston, and I was hearing so many stories of, oh, you know, and then one of your clients wants you to like modify something, so you have to do it just for them, and then it breaks something else. And I was like, what? Like we we just haven't dealt with any of that stuff. There's you know because we don't have any enterprise clients. There's no custom. So again, it's just being aware of which strategy you're choosing. Obviously, a lot of companies make a lot of money with enterprise being their customer base. That's certainly not a bad strategy, but you need to know what you're getting into, you know, and it's not just a matter of, oh, we're going to slap up, you know, the word enterprise on our page and then we'll just charge them thousands of dollars and it'll just be this easy, this easy free money. It's really not. So we, like I said, we have 7,000 customers. I mean, there's a lot more than 7,000 small businesses in this world where we're nowhere near reaching all of them or even a small percentage of them. So we want to keep leveraging what we've learned how to do and keep improving that before we kind of spend the business into into new directions. Yeah, no, it's um, a great advice there. And I think, uh, I mean, um, you know, MailChimp are a, a great proponent mm. of, the, of uh, that staying focused and, you know, ignoring the advice to, you know, move to enterprise. And they stayed on SME. And I, I think what they're going to report something like 400 million revenue uh, this year, yeah. so so I think they're they're, they're doing okay, right? Um, but um, and, and hopefully this will be the same path for uh, for, for me, Edgar, as well. Um, uh, but on on that note, uh, Laura, you've been uh, you know fantastic guest. You know, really appreciate your time to join us on the uh, uh, on, on the show and um, uh, you know put yourself forward uh, uh, to be on the SaaS Revolution show. So thank you very much for your time and the insights that you've shared for uh, for our audience. Thank you. Uh, and, and for those listening at home, um, uh, if you like this episode of the SAS Revolution Show, we'd appreciate if you rate and review us on uh, iTunes and we'll speak to you next time.